call the Planning Land Development Board meeting to order. Good evening and welcome to the City of Palm Coast Virtual CMT, July 15, 2020. Plan and Landing Development Regulation Board meeting. Pursuant to the Governor's Executive Order number 2069 and 2112, suspending all Florida statutes that require a quorum to be present in the persons of local government public meetings or require local government bodies to meet at a specific place or public place. The city may conduct meetings of its planning and land development regulation board without having a quorum uh, of this membership present physically and at uh, any specific location or utilizing communications methods, technology, such as telephone, uh, phonic, video conferencing, and vid provided a section 120.545B2 Florida statutes. Mayor Highland, pursuant to the authority granted to her by the city char charter, section four, uh, city council session four, declared a public emergency on March 15, 2020, in response to the COVID-19. Furthermore, pursuant to the, those powers and the governor's executive order number 2069, she is suspending all city uh, requirements that require a physical quorum to be present to conduct these meetings and author authorize that this meeting be conducted and communicated con communication media technology under the city state of, of emergency proclamation and virtual meeting executive on April 3rd, 2020. The city manager pursuant to the authority granted him by the city's uh, Intel state of emergency COVID-19 has closed city hall to the public. Therefore, no member of the public will be allowed into the community wing of City Hall during this meeting. Notice that this meeting was going to be held by communication media technology and that at, not at physical locations was posted on the city's website um, at last five days ago. The notice provided that those members of the public needing to re, uh, reasonably uh, accommodate and participate in the meeting could contact city clerk for assistance by noon of Monday on Monday, July 13, 2020. Access to this meeting is being provided via live stream on the city's website at www.palmcoastgov.com and 386-223-1690. We ask that everyone state their names each time they speak. We also advise that this meeting will be terminated if there is a technical issue. Staff may read public comment into the records during the public comment time if any uh, is received but not no matter what all 
threatening emails will be public, will be uh, incorporated into the records of this hearing. If you have problem uh, connecting to and or need technical assistance, please call 386-986-2391. Public participation will work as follows. Prior to calling in with your comments, if you are watching the meeting from other web sites, please mute those so that when you call in with comments, there is no interference. It, if you would like to participate in public comments, call 386-223-1690. You will need to hit star nine to raise your hand and provide your comments when your uh, agenda item is called. You will be acknowledged by being unmuted and you must hear the message that you have been unmuted. Please begin by stating your name clearly. For the record, you will have three minutes to speak. When there uh, is 15 seconds left you, uh, in your three minutes, you will hear a beep. And then at the end of that, your three minutes, you will hear an, another beep and you will be muted at that time. You will be disconnected from the meeting. All callers will be have the opportunity to speak. Please be aware there may be a short pause as we switch to the next caller. Today is Jul uh, July 15th, 2020, and uh, it is 5.30 p.m. Please rise and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Mrs. Lucas. Mrs. Lucas. I'm here. Okay. Um, Mr. D. Maria. Here. Mr. Skelly. Here. Mr. Davis. Here. Okay, Mr. Freeman and Mr. Dolney are excused. Miss Nicholson. Here. Okay, we do have a quorum. Okay, um, we need an approval of the minutes from the last uh, uh, meeting, uh, June 17th, 2020. Uh, if there are any corrections or deletions that need to be made, uh, please acknowledge and otherwise I need a motion and a second. This is Clint Smith, I move the approval. Uh, Bobby Demer second the motion. Roll call. Irene, please. Mr. Smith. Yes. Mrs. Lucas. Yes. Mrs. Nicholson. Yes. Mr. DeMaria. Yes. Mr. Lemon. Yes. 
Mr. Davis. Yes. All right, the next item on our list is a special exception to the Old Kings Road self-storage op application, number 4362. Mr. Tyner. Thank you, Ms. Mr. Chairman and members of the board. Uh, this is a special exception for a mini warehouse, office warehouse, actually self-storage um, along Old Kings Road. It is within a zoning of COM2, and um, uh, those would require a special exception um, approval from the Planning and Land Development Regulation Board. It's not a technical um, application. Um, this is the first step. Um, after a special exception, it would require a site plan with all the technical requirements part of that. So basically, um, just to kind of make a generalization or a, just a, a basic statement of what a special exception is, it's basically uh, the question of the day is that, is this use um, compatible with this area, um, basically what it is. And, and uh, the special exception process allows for the addition of um, special conditions that can be added on to the application or to the development order to help ensure that the use is, um, you know, compatible for that area and is appropriate for that general area. Um, with that said, Mr. Hoover will go through the uh, presentation and summarize what's already in the staff report as far as the specific criteria that we have in our land development code for special exceptions. And um, in addition, uh, he also has some um, uh, special uh, conditions uh, along with the, the uh, special exception application. Uh, with that said, Mr. Hoover, Senior Planner, will have the staff report. Good evening. Uh, Bill Hoover from Community Development Department. The overall site is 17.23 acres, and it's located uh, north of State Route 100, about uh, three-fourths to four-fifths mile on the east side of Old Kings Road. You can see the future Walmart site is directly to the south of the project and they're re requesting a special exception for a mini warehouse and self-storage facility on the 4.78 acre portion of the site and that's the uh, self-storage is shown in orange and if this is approved the applicant would be required to apply for a technical site plan and since the site is over 40,000 square feet of building area, it would return to the planning board in the future for review of the technical site plan. The future land use map designates the subject property as mixed use, and the mixed use uh, designation also allows uh, COM1, COM2, COM3, light industrial, uh, both office districts, the PSP, which is public, semi-public, and all residential zoning districts. So it's a very broad uh, designation. Self-storage facilities are permitted in the uh, COM3 
district in the light industrial. However, in the COM2 district, it's a special exception. This is the uh, zoning map of the property. You can see the entire site is zoned COM2. So to the north and south of the uh, area highlighted in yellow is COM2. Further to the south is the uh, Walmart site. Directly across Old Kings Road to the west is a public, semi-public site, which is actually the FDOT drainage area for this portion of I-95. And then to the east is a large master plan development of which it's primarily a uh, wetland area. The uh, overall site is proposed for not only the self-storage facility, but four commercial uh, lots north of that, and then one uh, on the south end of that, next to uh, the Walmart site. This is the uh, site plan that's uh, a, a preliminary layout. There's a six storage building shown in gray, and those total uh, 67,100 square feet and by the entry area up there in the northwest portion of the site, the, the uh, blue rectangular area is an office. And to the rear of the site, which would be the east side of the screen, there's 44 boat and RV spaces. Uh, the public participation uh, requirement for this is that the applicant mail a letter to uh, all neighboring property owners for tonight's uh, planning board meeting, and that's sent by certified mail. Uh, staff reviews the, who they are sent to and also the uh, certified mail receipts. Uh, we've not received any comments from the public so far on this project. Uh, each special exception uh, is analyzed based on Land Development Code Section 2.0703, and uh, Criteria A states, is this consistent with the specific requirements for that particular use as set forth in this Land Development Code? Uh, staff's response is the site will be developed under all applicable standards of the COM2 district and the Land Development Code. Criteria B meets the concurrency requirements of the Land Development Code. This site is located within an area with available essential services. The site and building will need to meet all concurrency standards as it goes through the development permitting process. Criteria C is the project compatible with the surrounding neighborhoods and promotes the value of surrounding land structures or building. Uh, in this case, the site plan shows the intensity of the self-storage facility has been designed to be internal to both the 4.78 acre self-storage site and the entire 17.23 acre commercial site. Staff has also placed conditions on our recommendation to ensure the project would remain compatible with neighboring properties in the future. The uh, fourth criteria is compatibility shall be further reviewed under other factors including architectural design and screening standards. The planning staff will ensure the facility 
will meet these other standards when the technical site plan is reviewed. Planning staff recommends that the planning board approve special exception application number 4362 for the Old Kings Road self-storage facility with the following eight conditions. Um, the conditions I, I would like to point out, the majority of these are the same ones we've used for other self-storage facilities that the planning board members uh, may remember. And uh, we use those for each COM21. And so it's, we don't reinvent the wheel for each one. Uh, first condition is outdoor vehicle storage services are limited to operable boats, autos, pickups, vans, trailers, and recreational vehicles. Storage services shall not be provided for any heavy-duty trucks, semi-tractor trailers, dump trucks, full-size buses, shipping containers, or large construction equipment. Second criteria, second condition, on-site manufacture assembly or disassembly of materials and vehicle repair and maintenance are prohibited. Storage units shall not be used for workshops, offices, or any recreational or residential use. Number three, an on-site business for the sale, leasing, or boats, rental of boats, recreational vehicles, trucks, trailers, or construction-related equipment is prohibited. Number four, all vehicles and boats being stored shall be limited to the designated boat and RV storage spaces and shall not extend into or occur within driving lanes or other non-designated storage areas. Number five, a business shall not use storage units for retail display and or sale of merchandise. Six, no individual business signage shall be visible from the exterior of any storage unit except for the storage business itself. Seven, during the technical site plan process, the applicant shall provide a tree survey and demonstrate on the engineering and landscape plans that as many trees as possible are being saved between the self-storage facility impervious area, which would be the concrete drives in the buildings, and Old Kings Road. Additional plannings may be required to ensure minimal visibility of the storage facility from Old Kings Road. Eight, approval of a technical site plan, site development permit, building permits, and all other development permits required by the Land Development Code. The applicant's representatives are in virtual attendance, and these include Attorney Jay Livingston, who's the agent, and project engineer, Kurt Wimpey. So, uh, staff is a open for questions, or if you have questions for the applicant, they're also available. And I'm going to back up to the, uh, the applicant has requested that the site plan be put back up because they thought that might be where there could be the most questions, if any. And they have a presentation, correct? No, but they're available for any questions on okay. this. So I'll bring it back to the board. Um, 
if they have any questions uh, on this application, uh, please say your name and let let us know what you uh, your concerns are. Uh, this is Sybil Lucas. Uh, th the facility will have offices for the owners or operators, yes? Uh, this that's, is cor Hoover. that's correct. Um, the original plan left that out and that was added in, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, the, um, the area marked in blue, or the entry is where the office is? That's correct. Will the site uh, have someone on site 24-7? I don't think that's been determined yet. Um, typically you don't have, um, uh, for this size facility, you probably wouldn't have somebody on site 24-7. There'd be operation air, uh, hours where you have um, staff available, but nighttime hours, typically they're gonna be off site. So a number would be provided for someone who um might run into a problem or would would the renters have access 24 7 i guess is a better question yes they would okay mr chairman bobby de maria okay bobby yeah um i know it's, it's just a um special exception right now but um, a lot of questions I bring up on this is, um, is the hours of operation on this? Is, is that been settled yet? Would I come, up, come on the site plan, that information for the developer? Well, the hours, I mean, the, the actual facility will be open with the office during normal business hours. The actual site facility, as far as access, will be accessible by the um, customers of the storage facility 24-7. Um, through a uh, controlled access and some kind of FOB system. So, the, you know, hours of operation, I guess, as far as the storage facility itself and access to it would be at any time. The actual office would be normal business hours. Okay, because I thought in the past, a lot of times, these places are closed from 12 to 5 or 11 to 6 a.m., so nobody can go in there. That's not going to happen here? At this stage, you know, we haven't we haven't really discussed that. If there's going to be any limitations on access. Um, that that's a I think an undetermined question. I think that the concept would be that they would have um, as ready access to the facilities and the stored um, vehicles as they as as possible. So I think the ideal scenario would be 24/7. But um, the actual final operations haven't been determined yet. That would be determine when we um, get to get past this special exception and get towards the site plan. That, yeah, that, that information will be available when we apply for site plan. Okay, and I know again this exception, but, exception, but uh, if this is close to the road, it's gonna be a lot of buffer for landscaping around this so we can not see the stuff from the road? Yeah, actually, Bill, I don't know if you can put on the aerial shot because that's the one benefit of this site that is different than a lot of other sites. You know, we have the benefit of this area where that was that, yeah, that one's good. We have so you, the site plan. It does go past the old Old Kings Road right of way, but we do have the benefit of a heavily treated area and the controlled access 
And then because staff had the same concern that you have, they added the condition that we may be required to do additional plantings. So ideally, this whole thing is going to be screened except for the access road. So you're not going to see anything from Old Kings except for what you can see through that access view, that access view area. Okay, sir. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That's it, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Okay. Anyone else? This is Clint Smith. I just have one question for Mr. Hoover. The staff conditions, the applicant is okay with those? They were forwarded to the applicant about two weeks ago, and I have not heard back that they have any issues with it. Okay. Well, let's ask Mr. Livingston. We have no objections to the conditions. All right. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, this is Suzanne Nicholson. One question I have with regard to condition number one is how will the applicant or operator determine and continue to determine that the vehicles are operable? Can the applicant answer that question? Well, in terms of, you know, that would be an operational requirement for the people that are running the office to make sure vehicles that are there are not derelict. That would be a monitoring requirement. I would assume, and I'll let the city staff answer the question, the final answer to the question, but I would assume that that would ultimately turn into a code enforcement issue under the special exception conditions if we did not fulfill that duty. But the actual monitoring of what's stored there to make sure it's operational would be a function of the people in the on-site office. Right. One of the ways staff would be able to tell, which would be enforced by code enforcement if we ran into problems at the site, is they would look at license plates to see if the vehicles are registered. So that's a good indication. So let's say in my previous planning experience, I've seen where self-storage facilities, the lower end ones, you'll have somebody bring in a vehicle that was damaged and they're waiting for parts or something like that. That's definitely not what we would like to see. So that's the reason we have this in here. And I think, I don't see that we would have a problem in enforcing this because we're getting rid of a lot of the types of vehicles that would create issues. And I'll just add to that too, that the intent of that condition too is that we don't want it in a junkyard where you've got all these dilapidated, you know, that's basically it. We don't want a junkyard. In reality, a bonafide storage facility, who is going to pay money monthly to have a piece of equipment out there that doesn't work or a boat? Most likely that's not going to happen. So the real intent is that, you know, staffs, we don't want a lot of junk and have it a junk storage yard basically. I guess just as a follow-up to why I'm asking the question is right now there's a lot of bills aren't being paid by people. And this would be one of those easy bills that wouldn't get paid in a financial situation and then get neglected. So I guess I would hope that the operator would demonstrate through the next application how they intend to ensure this for the community and not have to have it be determined that we're creating more work for our code enforcement to be enforcing this. And it's something that the actual owner and operator would be demonstrating that they're doing would be my thought. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Livingston. Thank you, Mr. Hoover. The case will be submitted.
We'll make sure to address that in the site plan application. With the storage facility, you know, obviously the storage operator wants to make sure they're getting paid as well. There's a fairly expedited process for notice and then a judicial sale, forced sale of the, of whatever materials are there to cover the unpaid expenses. So you, unless the operator is not doing their job, the likelihood of something sitting around derelict because the fees are not getting paid is, you know, that period of time would be limited because at some point the operator would then evict them and sell whatever's there in an auction to pay the unpaid rent. And there's a statutory process that I will make sure to address at a site plan and then we'll also make sure to walk you through the statutory process so you understand that that's not a, it's not the same thing as going to court and waiting months for a judgment. It's a very specific process that's available for storage facilities. Great. Thank you. That's my only question, Chairman. Thank you. One thing that I understand that code enforcement will be allowed to access this property at any time during operational hours to check this stuff. Then he would probably report back to your office there, to the manager, or how's that going to go? My concern is, I know for a fact some storage facilities let things sit there and rot away as long as the person is paying the rent. It becomes a junkyard. So enforcement is a real concern of mine. Well, I would assume without having have drafted it yet that the storage, the outside storage leases would be, would like almost all leases require a compliance with all state, federal, and local laws. So it would be grounds, you know, that the operator would have, then the owner of the facility would have the choice of either being fined by code enforcement or enforcing the terms of their lease against that particular user of the facility. Now, the other benefit I think that this development has compared to other storage facilities that are out there is that it's not standalone. Although the out parcels shown in the site plan are not part of the special exception because those are for uses that are allowed within the common two zoning district. We are going to have some neighboring uses that are going to also have a say in the aesthetics of their, of the facility. So there's some internal control as well there beyond just what the operator in the office and code enforcement. Mr. Tyner, will this come back to this board? Yes, sir. It's going to be a site plan. It'll come back. When the site plan and all is done. Okay. Any, any other member have any questions? Okay. I'll open it to the public. If there are anyone who wishes to speak on this matter. We don't have anyone. Thank you. I'll bring it back to the board for a motion. Understanding that this will come back to the board as Mr. Tyner stated. So I'll open it to the 
members, please. Mr. Chairman, uh, Jake Scully, I move to approve the special exception application 4362 for the old Kings Road self-storage. Sybil Lucas, uh, second. Any questions? Okay. Uh, Irene, hold, on, hold on, Mr. Chairman. Do we want to clarify that the, the uh, recommendation includes the conditions as staff presented? Um, sure. Let me modify that. Uh, Jake Scully moved to approve special exception application 4362 as written with staff exceptions on the old Kings Road self storage. Sybil Lucas, second. Jake. Could I have a uh, roll call, please, Irene? Mr. Smith. Yes. Mrs. Lucas. Yes. Mrs. Ms. Nicholson. Yes. Mr. Scully. Yes. Mr. D. Maria. Mr. D. Maria. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Mr. Lemon. Yes. Davis. Yes. Motion carries seven to zero. Okay, the next item that we have is a loss pertaining to the um, many storage uh, stores. The uh, small box. Small discount. box. Small box stores. Did I need to flip the page? Okay. That's item number three. Request to approve a regulation for small box discount stores. Uh, Mr. Tyner, please. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yes, this is, um, y'all may recall, this, this goes back to uh, uh, January um, 7th, actually, when uh, at a regular business meeting, City Council requested that planning staff uh, look into um, regulating uh, small box stores and then we got a long process that you know uh, Mr. DeLorenzo will have some of the history we're going to actually tag team a presentation here but we're bringing back to you this evening a consideration of some legislative change uh, for the land development code for your consideration for a uh, recommendation to uh, City Council so with that, uh, Mr. DeLorenzo is going to take the first half of the presentation. I'll, I'll take the second half. Okay. Good evening, board members. Jason DeLorenzo, Chief Development Officer. So uh, like Mr. Tyner said, I'm going to cover uh, how we got here, and then Mr. Tyner is going to cover the proposed regulations. So back on January 14th, uh, the City Council approved legislation in progress, basically telling the public that we were considering some changes to uh, the Land Development Code in regards to small box retail. On February 19th, um, this body approved the moratorium by a vote of four to three. On March the 3rd, the City Council then approved the ordinance on first reading. And then a week later, we had a City Council workshop and we were fast tracking this at the time and um, we had a discussion with City Council about um, some options for regulating small box discount stores, including uh, prohibiting them in neighborhood commercial or COM1 zoning districts, creating a distance separation between operations and 
compatibility of small box discount stores adjacent to residential uses. Those were the, the items that council asked us to look into. Um, we were scheduled for second reading of the moratorium on March the 17th, but uh, City Hall closed the week before that and we had a a lot of larger issues to deal with and um, this issue kind of went to the side for a while. On June 16th, we picked it back up and at the regular business meeting for city council, they adopted the moratorium on second reading and extended it for 60 days, which then expires on August the 15th of uh, this year. From the moratorium um, ordinance that you reviewed, we included a, a definition for small box discount stores, which is a retail store that is 16,000 square feet or less in size, which offers for sale a variety of convenience shopping goods and continuously offers the majority of the items in their inventory for sale at a price lower than traditional retail stores. Small box discount stores does not include a pharmacy and does not sell gasoline or diesel fuel or specialty items and food items as primary product, including greeting cards, consignments, meats, seafoods, cheeses, or oils and vinegars. This is a common definition that's used around the nation for small box discount stores. As part of that presentation as well, you might recognize this map uh, showing the six current operations that we have that meet that definition. Uh, they range in size from 7,500 square feet to 12,600 square feet. Uh, most of them are found in the uh, COM2 or Master Plan uh, Development Zoning Districts. Uh, we don't have any clustered in any one particular area and um, they currently are distance separated by 0.6 of a mile to four and a half miles from each other. So basically after the analysis, uh, staff went back and created uh, an ordinance that uh, uh, some of the recommendations are within your agenda package. So, you know, based on also city council's direction, uh, one of the things that we did already was to define uh, what a small box discount store is, you know, to get a definition. Uh, there wasn't a definition of that in our land development code. And uh, as Mr. DeLorenzo pointed out, other municipalities uh, had created a definition that we kind of utilized, but also modified as well. And as y'all recall, back during the uh, moratorium days of the definition, we had a, 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 we had a lengthy discussion, I guess, surrounded by the definition. So we kept that same definition that we worked um, prior to this and it's um, as our modification of our code. Um, you know, as the analysis showed, uh, we don't have uh, a whole lot of um, discount stores in a general commercial area. We have, just to remind everybody, we have three commercial zoning districts. We have a COM1, that's our neighborhood commercial. We have a COM2 that we call a general commercial and we have high intensity commercial district, which is our COM3. And as you know, we also have a zoning district called Master Plan Development that specifically has a development agreement that's attached to that ordinance. That's a negotiated uh, regulation between the city and the applicant. Um, and um, so, so basically the findings is that 
the general uh, commercial zoning district of COM2 and high intensity of COM3, uh, where these areas are found are mainly found on city major arterials such as Palm Coast Parkway, State Road 100, Old Kings Road. Um, they typically have a four-lane roadway and, and maybe plan for the future four-way. So they're really in our uh, most intense areas where you're going to see, you know, like the Target Shopping Center and your, and your um, sh shopping opportunities. Our master plan development, same thing. You're going to find those uh, zoning districts ma mainly along major road corridors. They typically will have a lot of land associated with them. Town Center is a master plan development, and Palm Coast Park is also a master plan development. So basically what we're requiring on, on that is that, no, go ahead, Jason, is that our uh, neighborhood commercial COM 1 be... Um, not part of this ordinance that we would not allow the small box um, uh, within the COM 1 because your COM 1 zoning districts they're mainly found along Palm Harbor right now um, they're your neighborhood commercial they mainly serve residential uh, traffic uh, and is bordered by residential use uses um, and then uh, number four, existing small box retail are mainly, like I said, in COM2 and MPD zoning districts. Uh, we have one existing operation of a small box uh, discount store within COM1, and that was the Dollar General on uh, Matanzas Parkway. That's the only one that we have in COM1 right now. Um, another thing that we looked at is distances. Um, that was uh, one of the other items that City Council wanted us to analyze is uh, potentially making um, so, so that uh, small boxes aren't, aren't clustered. In our analysis, we didn't really find an issue with, with the clustering of that. But what we did look at is that we knew that in some COM2 and maybe some COM3 uh, potentially, that you might have uh, some residential neighborhoods adjacent to it. So um, what we are, um, uh, what we had drafted is that if there are uh, residential lots uh, within 500 feet of a, of a residentially zoned property, then the uh, small box would require a special exception, such as the item, previous item that we heard, uh, that way you can, uh, planning board can add, um, you know, maybe special conditions. Let's say some additional buffering along the neighborhood would probably be appropriate, but based on a case-by-case -case basis. So basically, this last slide on the pr presentation, this is it. This is the uh, city staff recommendation. Um, we had changed our table uh, to add a small box discount store. You can see that there in red. Um, we were permitting outright in COM2 and permitting outright in COM3. And you can see the little asterisk there, number three, for a footnote that we already have existing in our land development code, so there's no addition to that condition. We just added the asterisk to small box discount stores um, if they're uh, uh, within 500 feet of a residential property to require a special exception. So we are 
Mr. Uh, DeLorenzo and I are here for any questions or discussions you all may have. My understanding then, we've set a, a square footage limitation on a small box store of 1,600 square feet, 16,000 square feet, or 1,600, I'm sorry. Definition was there. You want to go back to the definition right there? Yeah, look at your definition. That is it. 16,000, okay. Or less. Or, or less? Why did we have to put all, why did we have to pour and put our lesson there? Well, you know, what will regulate it would be the table that shows a small count discount, and then you have your other table within the land development code that has other uses that are permissible within that area. So okay. this is really just geared towards this specific use. Chair, if I may. If I guess another way to think about it is that if it's more than 16,000, then it's going to fall into a different category. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll bring it to the uh, board. Does any board member have any questions that they'd like to ask? Sure, Mr. Chair. Uh, Jake Scully, if I may. Um, the COM1, uh, if you could go to the slide six small box stores. Yeah, so the COM1 being the orange bits here, um, I spent a little time kind of zooming in on them. Um, would you guys say that there would likely ever be a situation where um, a store in one of those COM1 spaces would not be within 500 feet of a residentially zoned? Or could you give me an example of one that would uh, not have to go through the special accession because it's uh, outside of 500 feet in come one? Um, let me see if I got your question. Um, for COM1, if we look at the area on the map, I wish we could focus in on it, but um, I believe that those properties, most of those properties, and I can't say for sure, would most likely fall within the 500 foot of a residential zone piece of property. Okay. And um, the special exception is uh, on is the compatibility one where the, typically it's, uh, as, as you mentioned, buffering trees, uh, architectural concessions, et cetera. Um, I just feel like sharing with the group that I don't recall too many times where uh, a special exception has come before us where the additional buffering, et cetera, was not, um, uh, you know, it, it always seemed to make the grade. I don't recall us rejecting something on neighborhood compatibility that went through these steps. Is that fair recollection? Yeah, I mean, my, my experience uh, basically, and Katie can chime in too, that you know, and one way from um, a perspective that a special exception isn't by right where, you, you know, you do have to go to a public hearing and basically is adding special conditions um, that make it more compatible. Just like you said, Mr. Scully, is that, you know, if you're adjacent in, in the back of your building on the rear of the property, you have residential uh, houses there, single family homes the planning board may want to increase the landscape buffer 
um, to make it more compatible to help protect the uh, existing residential uh, property. You may have, uh, again, you may have uh, conditions of hours of operation uh, to be a little bit more compatible with the surrounding areas. But you, my yes, um, it is has been rare. I don't, I can't recall a, a time that uh, the planning board has, I guess, denied a, a special exception. I can't remember. That's right. Um, you can hear me, can't you? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah, and the whole idea behind a special exception is it is presumptively um, compatible, and then you just have to add conditions onto it to make it compatible. So it would be extremely rare that you would deny outright a special exception. It could be that you place certain conditions and the applicant objects to those conditions, but typically you would you wouldn't necessarily you know you wouldn't deny it out of hand. Chair Davis, but what about the distance between the small box stores? Let's say there's one already there, a thousand feet down the road. And they want to put another one in. I mean, do we distancing between how many can go in an area? Well, I think what we found, and uh, we found that, you know, and based on this map, this is a great map. If you look at the uh, COM two and COM three zoning districts, there. Uh, they are definitely typically uh, on our major corridors. Um, so, you know, let's look at, uh, I'm, I'm just making this up a little bit, but let's say the Target Plaza, you know, you have a future plaza that, you know, you it, it's, it's possible that in the COM2 uh, zoning district on a major corridor that you may have two hand-in-hand um, -hand, uh uh, different small box in one shopping center. For example, you may have a, a Dollar Tree and maybe a five and under, right, you know, on the other side. So, but, you know, um, I, I think it lessens the impact from our analysis of looking at, you know, where the existing COM2 and COM3 zoning are that have um, definitely um, not that big of an impact. Mr. DeLorenzo, I uh, Mr. Chair, if I may, um, back to Mr. Scully's question about the about the COM1 or pointing out where COM1 is located now in relation to residential um, zoning. That's just the COM1 just for the board's um, consideration. That's just the COM1 that we currently have. As the city continues to grow, we will have additional areas of COM1 that may or may not be located near residential. Okay. Does anyone else uh, on the board have questions? Uh, this is Suzanne Nicholson, uh, Mr. Chairman. And I, I guess the, what I, and I, I'm trying to play catch up here because I wasn't involved in all the previous meetings, but it seemed like city council's concern was having an abundance of these type of stores that would then create um, difficulty for other more desirable retail that would have more diversity and would potentially be um, Having an economic impact, not just a, a, a screening impact. It was it, am I am I correct in that? And are we addressing that with this recommendation? 
Yes, yeah. ma'am, I believe you're, you are correct in that, and that's why um, locating them in COM2 and COM3 puts them in the corridors of the city and not um, out throughout the city. Did that answer your question? I, I, but I'm not sure if we're not limiting the amount that we have, how we are, how we're addressing the economic potential economic impact. I understand uh, the same way you did about uh, council uh, about an overabundance of these small box stores. Uh, uh, Mr. Tyner, this doesn't seem to reference the the number that Palm Coast could have. No, it doesn't. It, uh, you know, what we did is, um, you know, protect the neighborhoods um, and um, cite these um, within the major corridors, like on Palm Coast Parkway, uh, State Road 100, some areas on Old Kings Road that will be developed uh, in the future. But yeah, we didn't, we, we our staff has not recommended to you uh, distancing requirements. This is Sybil. Um, at one of our last meetings, I had supported a moratorium on the small box stores. I don't currently see anything that would change my mind about that because in all of these provisions, we're not limiting the number of stores that could come in. That's that's true. Um, well, I, I feel like um, if I'm understanding you correctly, it's necessary for us to clarify that the moratorium was a temporary moratorium um, by Correct. state law. 120 days. I'm sorry. What was it, Sybil? I believe it was 120 days. Co correct, but was the root of your question you wanted to extend the moratorium and not allow any? I'd like, I'd like the, the proliferation issue to be resolved in some way because I would not like to see, even in the COM 1, to see uh, just a, a a proliferation of those kinds of small box stores throughout our community or throughout our city. And I don't see where um, the changes that have been made are going to limit that, limit them. It may distance them, but it doesn't limit them. Well, we are, we are limiting, our recommendation is to not permit them in COM 1 where they are permitted now. Okay. Mr. Chairman, Bobby DeMaria. Then why can we add on COM2 also to limit them to, to going in here? I agree. We have to have a certain amount, just amount. I, I agree with Mrs. Lucas on this thing. Um, there should be some type of say how many are law per year or how many one area, but we add COM2 to it, then it becomes a special exception, exception then we have a little more control on it. Well, I will add, you know, COM2, if we go back on the map, if we can. You know, COM2 is our, our red, not our dark red. Um, and I know it's hard to see on the map, 
we are limited in a lot of COM3, which is uh, more of an intense use, um, uh, you know, your storage facilities, those type of things, uh, very high intense, really limited of retail in the COM3, although you can't have retail in COM3, but your COM, your commercial two zoning district is where the majority of your retail establishment, including the small box, including groceries, including shopping, restaurants, that is where the majority of your retail will go. So eliminating small boxes from COM2 would, would pretty much eliminate them from a lot of the areas on the city. In addition, um, you know, that's where we have the majority of our small box, existing small boxes when they're COM2. So now, in essence, we have made the existing uh, small boxes, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking non -conforming. for? Non-conforming. Yeah, non-conforming. So um, uh, I, I would, we would not recommend uh, getting them um, out of COM2. Is there a way perhaps to um quantify as as uh, mrs lucas is saying is that there's a a percentage of uh, small box stores to other type of retail that would be permitted and once you know we get to a cap of whatever that percentage is versus other retail that that would be the limit without having to say limited to 10 or 12 yeah I, I mean i don't i don't think we could do that um and katie can chime in too but limiting to a specific number is you know that you know you're talking about pr proliferation of of small boxes and how how you can do it is through a um, as we talked about in the beginning of the presentation is a distance requirement that you know um, you know limiting to you can't have a small box within you know one mile of each other or two miles of each other. You have a distance requirement that regulates the proliferation of that. But our analysis, a staff analysis of looking at um, what we have existing in Palm Coast and looking at all of our zoning districts, we didn't see that issue of proliferation. Now, if we start having that issue um, of proliferation of, of these small box stores, Nothing's prevented us for, for coming back and taking another look at uh, the ordinance, but we just didn't see that data through our analysis that, that it is a, a current issue right now. And I think our, and Katie, Ms. Reichman, we want to chime in because part of our recommendation is actually looking at the data and, um, you know, to come up with, uh, you know, a distance and, and limit them, them without having uh, an issue of proliferation could be prob problematic for us legally at this point. Katie, do you want to chime in on that? Yes, thanks, Ray. Um, yeah, you know, obviously we're we're making this kind of um, very specific definition of small box, and then we're saying that this particular type of retail needs to be regulated a little differently. In, in the what the staff has brought forward, I think you can justify it. It makes sense because they're backing it up by saying these kinds of retail stores need to be on the main arteries. But the question is, have you gone into the realm of a little bit more arbitrary 
when you start looking at even separation between them. That's something that quite a few communities have done. But it still requires you to do, to find some definite reason for that in your data. You can't just say, well, it seems to me that these small box retail are creating food deserts, or it seems to me that they attract crime. You know, you really have to have the statistics. So what staff has come up with is based on their study of the city and what the city needs at this particular time. That's not to say that down the road it couldn't be changed with proper data. Mrs. Sybil, again, Katie, do we, are you suggesting that we wait until there is a problem? Because if we look at other cities, we can very readily see the proliferation of small box stores in other towns and cities and the impact that both visually and commercially that it has on these cities. So are we suggesting that we go ahead and use the recommended distancing and then at some point down the road when we have a problem, try to undo it? Well, I would certainly hope that it wouldn't be after we have the problem. I mean, I think we can sort of see it coming. But we also, you know, we also have to do what's defensible based on what we found in our city. And I don't think that some of the cities that have these distance restrictions have necessarily backed it up with appropriate data. I don't know. I haven't looked at every single one to be sure. But, you know, I agree with you totally, Sybil. I get where you're coming from to be proactive and to see what's happening elsewhere. But we don't seem to have that data right now. We might. But I think staff's going to be watching closely to see if we get to a point where we need a distance restriction. So, Sybil, from what I've read, because, you know, I tried to go to reputable sources, but it seems that the demographics where this proliferation is significantly a problem is in rural and poorer areas. And, you know, when people consider the dollar stores as, you know, a negative proliferation, I wouldn't say predatory, but, you know, getting in that direction. It's the demographics, at least of our current COM1, if that is, in fact, what is attracting dollar stores to pop up everywhere, it just doesn't seem to be a well-supported business decision to, you know, put 12 dollar generals on Matanzas and Palm Harbor Parkway to me, based on what I've read. That's all. Anyone else? May I ask, this is Sybil again, may I ask what the, what, if any, is the common denominator between these dollar stores? Are they being marketed or are towns being marketed as a good place for people to open these kinds of businesses? Well, 
one answer that? Because most of these stores seem to be operated by, by uh, folks that are coming to this country looking for a better opportunity, which is wonderful. But are, are small towns like ours being targeted for these kinds of businesses? Or do we know? I don't think we have an answer for that. To okay. Be, to be honest with you, Sybil. Um, okay, thank you. And this is Susanna. I guess my, my question stems back to what, what was the data or what was the information that city council had of why they brought it to be under consideration? And perhaps we need to know more information about that data to then be able to make a recommendation of whether this, this fully takes care of their concern. And we've now, you know, done the analysis from every direction, which may certainly have been done. I just don't know that I know what that original, why that original request was made. I believe the mayor received uh, an email that included an article about the rapid growth of small box stores in the nation. Also, it was with uh, the timing of our latest Dollar General that opened along Matanzas. Uh, Katie, um, was there a, a specific, or, or, or uh, Ray or Jason as well, was there a specific kind of indefensible issue that, that just steered you guys to away from just saying, look, Com2 is limited uh, uh, real estate at this point. These, these stores take up a bigger footprint than most of the other establishments that are already zoned for this. Um, therefore, let's put them in COM2 and be done with it. Uh, was there a, a problem with going in that direction? No, Mr. Scully, I think more of it was it had to do with compatibility in COM1. And it was more natural for this type of business to be located in our corridors and not in our neighborhoods. And I would no, add... That, that, that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is what... I'm sure there are serious consideration given to just saying, you know, COM2 and COM3, and that's that. Um, once the definition of the small box was done, um, the rationale I, I would see data for is that these take up a lot of the COM1 footprint um, just by nature of their single tenant big store. Um, you could argue against that, but was there something that said, uh, no, we, we can't defend eliminating COM1 for these? I, you know, and we had workshops with, with city council and, you know, getting direction or, or consensus. And, you know, when staff was doing the analysis of, you know, the, these type of, of uh, small boxes, I think it was like Mr. DeLorenzo said, more more of a compatibility issue for us um, of looking at where these retail establishments would be more compatible with the surrounding neighborhood. Right, but I think I also heard you, uh, Mr. DeLorenzo say that, that they generally agree of, agreed that they're more compatible in the common. Com two, com three zoning. Correct. 
automatically without having to do this special exception and, you know, that process. That's true, but you also have, you know, our recommendation is, you know, some uses if you are, again, within 500 feet of a single-family zoned area that you would come in for a public hearing for a special exception. I think one of our council members liked that idea when we talked about the special exception of having the public be able to come out to a public hearing and state some of their concerns with a small box proposal next to the neighborhood and to be able to have that public outreach and public hearing during a workshop was pretty important. Jake, this is Katie. I just want to clarify, you understand that we're not allowing small box in COM 1? Without the special exception, correct? No, it's not allowed with a special exception. It's not allowed at all. Jason, can you go back to the last slide? Did I completely mess that up? Let me show you. Can everyone see the last slide? Can you see it? I see it. Everybody? Yep. Mr. Scully, this is the proposal. This is it. We added small box discount stores to our non-residential mixed-use zoning district use table. And if you see COM 1, COM 2, COM 3, we eliminated small box discount stores from COM 1. And they are permitted in COM 2 and COM 3 outright. And MPD. And MPD. Okay, I'm sorry. I misread that and I'm sorry for confusing the issue. Yep, and the only thing that some of these in COM 1 or COM 2 or COM 3 may be adjacent to residential and in those rare circumstances, then they would come in for a public hearing for a special exception where the planning board will hear it and maybe add special conditions. I apologize to my fellow board members. I apologize for not being clear. And I, this is Suzanne, I think this satisfies completely the compatibility concerns, but I'm not sure it addresses the economic concerns that I saw stated from the city council piece. That was my concern. And that's my last comment. Okay. Do we have a, Mr. Tyner, do we have a restriction that if we are in COM 2 or COM 3 that we've got a small box store and limiting another small box store next to it? No, sir. So they could do that? Theoretically. If market conditions found it necessary or possible? I know staff's worked hard on this, but it's kind of a little bit I don't think council is getting what they're really asking for on the limitations. 
I think the next thing that we're going to have is <laughs> going to be storage facilities and limitations and stuff like that. Um, it's up to the committee to uh, say yay or nay. Uh, I think we've discussed it enough. Uh, I would entertain a motion uh, and a second on this, if you don't mind. Public comment? We've got public comment, too, Mr. Davis. Oh, do we have any public comment? Nobody has called in. Nobody's called in? Okay. We don't have any public comment. Okay. All right. Bring it back to the board. If the board would uh, make a motion, whatever. So, Jake Scully, I move to approve the ordinance regulating small uh, box discount stores, item key 8342. This is Clint Smith. I'll second. Okay, I have a motion and a second. Any uh, questions? Kate, uh, Irene, please call the roll. Mr. Smith. Yes. Mrs. Lucas. Can you come back to me? Miss Nicholson. No. Mr. Scully. Yes. Mr. De Maria. Yes. Mr. Lemon. Yes. Mr. Davis. Yes. Mrs. Lucas. No. The motion carries five to two. Okay, there, uh, we have anything else on the agenda, Mr. Tyner, anything to come up? No, sir. Okay. No. All right. Recommend a motion to that we adjourn. Bobby Demer, motion to adjourn. Second. Sybil Lucas. Roll call. Mr. Smith. Yes. Mrs. Lucas. Yes. Ms. Nicholson. Yes. Um, Sorry. Mr. Scully. Yes. Mr. Davis. Yes. I would like to thank all of the board members. I can finish. Mr. De Maria. Yes. Mr. Lemon. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I had to hear to myself, guys. Okay. Uh, I want to I want to thank all the board members and all uh, and staff for the hard work that is going into this. Thank you very much. This meeting is adjourned.